Welcome back to the In-Laws Podcast. I'm Brianne. I'm Sophia. We're two law students who created this podcast to talk about law school, law talk, and everything in between. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the In-Laws Pod and our law school pages at Law and at Brianne in Law. For this week's episode, we're joined by our guest, Emily, who is here to shed light on her experience from transferring between two different law schools. Emily is currently a 2L at Georgetown. And then Emily, if you would like to add anything to your introduction. Yeah, so my name is Emily, like Soph said. Um, I grew up in Indiana. Um, I'm a first-generation college student and law student. Um, for undergrad, I went to Purdue University. So for any Big Ten listeners out there, uh, go Purdue. Um, and then prior to law school, during undergrad, I spent some time in D.C. in 2019 before the pandemic. Um, I graduated college and really liked the city, knew I wanted to go back. And that was the first time I saw Georgetown's campus and was kind of like, oh, like it would be really cool to go there one day. So, yeah, it's a little bit about me. All right. So the first kind of question that we ask most of our guests is why do you want to, why did you want to go to law school and sort of what is keeping you with law school? Yeah. So the reason I wanted to go to law school is so different from like what's keeping me in law school now. And I, I think that's really cool. Um, I was adopted when I was 14 and Um, by my grandfather. And so going through a custody battle really showed me some of the deficiencies in the legal system and like what good representation as a child looked like. And I loved reading as a kid. I was always the kid with the book. And so I knew I didn't really want to go into a STEM field. And so law school is kind of always on the back burner for me. Um, And so when I applied to law school, I actually thought I was going to go into family law for like some of the reasons I just talked about. But um, you know, when I got into school, my interests changed completely once I had 1L classes. So yeah. And then now that I'm in law school, I really liked like contracts and property, probably more transactional based courses. I think it just engaged a different part of my brain. And so in terms of staying in law school now, like I need to pay off student debt, just being um, candid, you know, I need to get to get the degree, but um, I'm hoping to be a transactional lawyer of some kind. So just the transactional like classes. And then uh, financially, I hope to be able to adopt my own kid one day. That's, that's very personal, but like the future of my family is really important. So that's always like a driving factor to me is like to be able to provide for them one day. So yeah. Yeah. And you're kind of a tax girly too, a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought I was going to hate tax. Uh, Fun fact, like, you know, in undergrad, I had no business or finance background. Uh, I always was like, no, I don't want to take econ or anything like that. I was a political science major. And then um, I decided to take federal income tax my 2L year at Georgetown because I was like, well, this would be really useful. I'm interested in going into corporate law. And I had the most like astounding professor. And I think it really changed the way that I look at the tax system. So it's definitely something that's interesting to me, but it's going to depend where I, where I get hired at post-grad. So we'll see. Definitely. The tax code is just wild. Do you guys have to get the thick ass blue books? Yeah. um, So I was signed up for partnership tax and I dropped it. Um, It wasn't going to work with my schedule, but that's even like the way that the code is distributed. It's a different book. And so (laughs) I was like, oh goodness, just carrying around another book with me. But now I'm in a tax law and finance policy seminar and we have professors come in and present on new policy in the tax and finance realm from across the country and we write like response papers and kind of have discussions so to me it's a lot more engaging than just like a normal lecture that's super cool I I love it I don't think UNC has more than two tax classes really yeah I like we're very much not a tax school and like maybe I am just like missing these like smaller classes because I don't know anything about tax and I've never taken a class in it but like the first time I heard of anyone taking a tax class was this year so like 
Yeah. Um, I mean, at the school that I transferred from, I'm pretty sure they only offered federal income tax, which I mean, like, that's, that's fine, especially if you don't want to go into tax. But then you have some schools that like, um, like Georgetown's tax LLM program is nationally known. So there's a lot of tax classes. So I think it just depends on the program you go to. Yeah, definitely. Because it's like, there's like, four big tax LLM schools. And one is Georgetown. There's one in Florida. I think NYU is another and then Northwestern. So it's like, if you want to get a tax LLM, they like try to funnel you into one of those schools, which because I like tax and all that jazz. That's interesting. (laughs) Could come to Georgetown. I might. We'll see. I was literally talking to my trademarks professor randomly, and she was like, you might want to consider just like going to DC for two years, like getting into the IRS or getting into the USPTO and just like seeing what happens. And I was like, you know, that is true. That is true. Yeah. um, One of the contributors for the paper that we just discussed last week in my tax policy class like he works at the IRS and so for him to be able like to discuss disparities in the tax system like that there are good people at the IRS like that you know you can have your own opinion on the agency but like there are people out there that are trying to do good work and I would say being in DC like you can get an externship no matter where you go to school but um I'm at an agency this semester and I think it's just like it's really something to just like walk by the tax court or walk by the transportation department or it's something so to have access to those connections is really cool it's one of the factors I've considered in transferring yeah Okay, getting into like the meat of this episode, because that's really what we want to talk about is your transferring process and what that's like and what it might look like for others who are interested in it. So the big general overall umbrella question is, what was your application process like? Yeah, so wait, I should clarify, do you want me to talk about like, like the transfer application process? Or do you want to talk about like, my first application process um you can do your first application process first yeah um I'll keep it short and sweet for anyone else who applied in 2020 um I feel like that application process was especially hard on all of us like Bellsat being online um I also feel like because the LSAT was online, scores were higher, and it was a very, very competitive admission cycle. So, like, I guess this plays into the transfer conversation, though, because schools that I had basically, like, looking at prior stats, kind of been assured or, like, target schools I was applying to, I was being rejected at because there was such a discrepancy in, like, um, stats with people scoring higher. So, Um, I applied to like 13 schools and I got denied by all but one. And so I did not have a very successful application process. Um, And I think it was very frustrating at the time because I'm not a good standardized test taker, but I felt like it wasn't really indicative of my ability to perform in the classroom. Like I've, I've always loved school, but standardized tests, the ACT, that uh, the LSAT, the GRE, like just not for me. Um, So that was frustrating to also see people with similar stats at the time get into programs that like I thought that I would get into and I got a lot of rejections. And but I think everything happens for a reason um, because that school ended up being probably the best place I could have spent 1L um, and being the best springboard for me to transfer. I made really, really great friends my 1L year. Um, and most importantly, I developed relationships with professors that turned into mentorships, and then they were willing to write letters of recommendation for me for the transfer process. So, like, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't necessarily change a thing. But for those out there who are dealing with the COVID uh, cycle, I, I totally understand. Um, but I guess I can talk a little bit about, like, the transfer process as a whole, like what made me want to transfer. I'm sorry, I'm rambling. (laughs) No, it's good. We want it to be like guest led. Yeah, I started my 
my first year at that school. It's a T100 law school in the Midwest. Um, I would say like, I didn't really have too many things that I noticed first semester that I was like, oh my goodness, like I need to transfer. I really liked my classes. I had made friends. I had found community. I was involved in business organizations. But kind of the first indicator to me was when I went to make my 2L schedule for the fall, um, I noticed that there just like really weren't a lot of classes that aligned with some areas of law I was interested in. So quickly after first semester, I was like, okay, I don't think I want to litigate. Legal writing is one of my biggest downfalls. It's not one of my strengths. And I knew like I took contracts, I took property. I was like, okay, definitely like leaning transactional. And so one of the biggest things in like looking at other schools for me was, okay, what transactional courses do they offer? Because the school I was attending at the time just kind of offered like the classes that are there for the bar exam. And then their concentrations were like criminal law and intellectual property, which is great. But like, that's not what I came to law school for. So I was like, well, um, I don't really have a lot of options. I'm going to take a lot of litigation based courses in the fall if I stay. So that was kind of something that was like a really big, big red flag for me. But I guess I should just make a disclaimer that the transfer process is super personal to everybody. So you may be coming from a school that's quote unquote ranked super well and have a different reason to transfer. You may be coming from a T100 program like I did looking to transfer. So like my story and like what I looked for is going to differ person to person. So don't take this as like black letter law. Like this is why you should transfer. This is why you shouldn't. Um, so again, I was super interested in like schools that had corporate law courses. And so Georgetown obviously was one of those programs. Um, I had been out in DC. I actually ended up looking at probably like 13 programs because I was like, well, you only get to apply to law school twice, which (laughs) that's a really a bad way to look at it. But it was kind of an opportunity for me to be like, okay, well, where could we apply that we didn't really have the opportunity to apply to before because I didn't have a good LSAT. So I looked at programs like Northwestern. um, And another big consideration was location. So like I said, I'm from the Midwest originally. So if you're a transfer student, like you may be looking to stay in the same state and just be looking to go to a different school. So location was definitely like a big factor Um, for me. It was definitely hard for me to pack up and move across the country and leave family. I've never been so homesick in my life, to be honest with you. But then I had to weigh that against the opportunities that were presented here. Um, Geographically being in D.C., plethora of opportunities like job wise connections wise on top of the school but then that geographic distance from my family and like support network was really hard for me to adjust to so second semester 1L I got my grades back and for the reasons that I talked about in making my schedule I was already kind of like shocked at what wasn't available for me to take so I researched some programs that I was interested in And then some of my professors actually required that I meet with them um, if I was asking for a letter of rec, which I thought was super unusual, but they ended up being great conversations because number one, if somebody's going to write a letter of rec for you, like they need to know you a little bit more personally, but also they pointed some things out to me about the transfer process that I had never taken into account. Like, One of my professors said, well, if you want to go into academia one day, this school would be really great for that because they have a history of producing people in academia. But if you go to this school, they're not as well known for that. So there were just some considerations I had never even factored in before, law review, um, things like that. And so having that conversation with my professors, I think was great. And I would recommend if you can before they write for you, sitting down for 15 minutes with them. And just, I think it's hard in big lectures for a professor to get to know you super well. So 
if you have the opportunity, reach out to your professor and kind of have a more personal conversation about your motives. Um, and then on the same topic of letters of rec, so I asked for my letters of rec pretty early for some background, the transfer application process. Like I think a lot of the applications open around February or March, and that sounds super early, but that's when they open. And because I knew so early I wanted to transfer um, after getting my grades, I was able to ask for those letters of rec quite early. And I think a tip that I have is that if you do know, if you can get those letters of rec before professors are grading finals, just for the fact that they are busy. Like if you're going to ask a professor for a letter of rec in the month of May, it has nothing to do with your grade. It's more like they need to get their grades posted. So either like way before or way after, like in the summer. Yeah, I think there's two kind of routes. Um, there's early action, just like the normal law school application cycle, and then there's regular decision. Most schools do not offer early action in the transfer process. That's I pretty much think it's a rarity. I would actually two or three of the schools I did apply did early action and I applied early action because I knew, excuse me. And I, I think that was great, but like overall, like regular decision is just how most schools are. Um, so if you're early action, you're probably going to hear back like early May, middle of May. And then after that, like you can hear decisions all the way up until like August one, which is like the most mind boggling thing. That would stress me out so badly. There was a, um, one of the interns that I was with my 1L year was going to a different school and trying to transfer into UNC and was at an internship with UNC law students. Um, and I didn't realize that they would send out like transfer acceptances in waves. I kind of just assumed they'd all go out at once, but we were sitting in our internship one day and me and the other UNC intern got a message for like class group me that transfer students had been added to our group me. And like this person who applied to transfer like broke down and went home because they were like, I, I like, I can't even get them to like respond to me. They haven't given me an answer and they got in, like they transferred in, everything was completely fine. But like, it's such a wild process. It's so stressful. Yeah. So stressful. Um, I definitely think that's one of the benefits if you do end up applying to a school that has an early action benefit is like you're guaranteed a date to have a decision. Um, on, on the downside of that is like they can defer you to regular decision. So then you're just like lumped in with every everybody else. But like I was told like, oh, by this month, this week, you'll have a decision. And that was like a little bit better. But I mean, I had like put my deposit down to attend Georgetown. And that week, like, you know, end of August not end of August, end of the first week of August, I had received a decision letter from a program, like, you know, 10 days before class starts. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, like, to be fair, some people, like, if it's the right school for them, like, they'll make it work, they'll figure out what they need to do. But I guess the way I can describe the transfer process is like, you know, the normal application cycle is stressful as it is, but then take being in law school and doing it all over again on top of that while trying to like maintain your grades and your mental health. Yeah. Um, One of the first things that makes me think of is like having to figure out your housing situation, because if you sign a lease, that's like August to August, like you might be okay. But if you sign like a nine month lease or something like that, and you get a job in the city of your first school, like, what are you doing? Like, where are you living? Like what's going on? And finding housing. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, like a lot of leases, you know, buildings will require that you give notice 60 days ahead of whether you're going to renew or not. So like, you know, if you're starting school in August and you were asked to renew in June, July, and you have to get out of that, like housing is a, is a huge consideration. I was super fortunate to live at home my 1L years. So again, like this is why every transfer story is super personal and like why some factors weigh more than others because housing wasn't super like difficult for me because I just left my family's house. But then I did have to find a place to live here in D.C. Um, I wanted to be close to the law school. I actually live with another transfer student, which has worked out really great. But um, signing a lease and signing a lease for a building I've never seen and just packing up and moving across the country, like that is a lot of added stress. It's a lot of added stress. And like, regardless of the lease situation, it's a lot of added cost to move for a lot of students, especially like that quick of a turnaround. If you're figuring out on August 1st, getting an apartment within two weeks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a vehicle, how are you going to get stuff there? Are you going to get an apartment that already has furniture? Like there's just so much to consider. And yeah. Your 1L summer, did you spend it in D.C. or did you spend it back where your old school was? Yeah, so I spent it in the city of my old school. Um, So that was actually like pretty convenient because um, where my employer was for the summer, I was also able to commute in and I lived at home, which I was very fortunate. I saved a lot of money doing that because my summer income was not going to rent. Um, so yeah, but I kind of had to do like a very quick turnaround in terms of like moving out to DC after spending my summer in the Midwest. So, um, but like what you were saying about costs, I think that there's a lot of costs in the transfer process. That's just not really talked about. Like essentially like applying to law school all over again, just without the LSAT fees, um, like you still pay LSAC that processing fee and then you pay application fees. And unlike the first time you apply, like I got some fee waivers the first go around, but then I know on Reddit, something that was talked about was there's not really application fee waivers. And I applied to a lot of schools and I'm fortunate that I was able to do that financially, but you know, you may be limited into applying to two, one, three, four schools because it's like, okay, this is what I have the money to do um, on top of moving costs, that sort of a thing. Right. When did you have your decision for Georgetown? When did you receive it? So like me and just who I am as a person, it was complicated. I applied early action and I had a decision available the first week of May and it was the first school that got back to me. And honestly, when I got in, I just like didn't know how to act. I was just over the moon. Like it was a really big moment for my family, like um, being first gen college grad, like I know that the rankings aren't a thing anymore, but to get into a school like Georgetown was just kind of like, it was a huge moment, but it was also kind of like, it seemed unobtainable and unrealistic with everything we just talked about, like the cost of moving and moving away from my family and cost of the school itself. It seemed like, well, we're going to put this on the back burner for now until I had other decisions from other programs. And like we just talked about, the decisions came trickling in at an ungodly slow pace. So I got another decision from um, another school in Indiana, like fairly quickly that I had been admitted but Georgetown gave me two weeks to put my deposit down for early action. And I was like, you're kidding me. I have however many schools left to hear from. And I didn't even know what I would consider my top choice to be 
just based off of like they all had so many different pros and cons. So I was just going to go off of like, where do I get in? Right. So like I told you, the last school that I heard from, I got a decision letter the first week of August. So my whole summer working at this position, I'm getting answers from schools, interview requests. Um, it was something, let me tell you. So what I ended up doing was I surpassed the Georgetown deposit and I just like didn't, and they actually emailed me and they were like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, sorry. And then, um, you know, it got to the end of July and I called admissions and I was just kind of like, you know, I completely understand if you gave the spot away, you don't have room, but um, I requested a spot in the class based off of the fact that I had already been admitted and they were like, well, will you come if we say yes? And I was like, yeah. So I kind of had to admit like on the phone, like, yeah, I screwed this up. Okay. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I had had the decision for two months and, um, was not my brightest moment, but here we are. Would not recommend doing that. I wanted to ask is from what I know about transfers is like Georgetown is like known as a school people transfer into. And do you think that like benefited you in your transition because there were like a lot of transfers who were going through the same thing. Yeah. So something I would not recommend doing, which I did do was just like sitting on Reddit every day, like reading about, you know, the transfer process where people were going in, getting in. And, you know, I would sit on like the ADA 509 reports, which if you don't know what that is, is like schools are required to publish um, like cost of tuition, how many students they have, um, diversity statistics, but then they're also required to publish how many transfers they admit every year, um, and like how many applied, the percentage that were admitted. So I was like going through the 509 reports looking like, okay, so last year Northwestern admitted X amount of students And so far, I personally know X amount have been admitted. And like, in my head, calculating probability for each school, which was so dumb of me. Again, I would not recommend doing that. But I, through the 509 reports, I did come to figure out like, okay, there are some schools that accept a lot of transfers. And then there are some schools that don't. Um, And I would definitely say, like, now that I'm here at Georgetown, it's been, like, one of the best, like, the biggest pros, because I have a community of other students that have gone through the same exact process of me, and transferring, like, the imposter syndrome you feel in law school that I don't think ever really goes away is just enhanced even more when you're a transfer student, because you get into this building, and nobody knows you're a transfer, but you just feel like, you're a fish in a fishbowl. Nobody knows you're a transfer, but you just feel like everybody knows that you you didn't go there your first year. And so having so many transfers in some of my classes, it was kind of like, oh, hi, friend. You know, you wave at them across the room. And um, my best friends here, I live with another transfer, but my best friends here have all gone through the same thing as me. Whereas, you know, another program I applied to only took five transfers on average. And I look at that now and I'm like, I don't know that I would have succeeded at least in terms of, because having a support system and a group of friends is so important in law school. I've seen it here at Georgetown too, branching out and making friends with people that are not transfers. It's not impossible by any means, but like people have their groups, you know, like they, you went through one L together, you have your study friends and like in class, you people you sit with and people are kind when you reach out and talk to them. But like, for the most part, it's difficult to insert yourself into a new friend or social group. So I would definitely say that was one of the biggest advantages. I'm assuming you guys kind of had like 
a new orientation like you had orientation again because it's a new school so then did you get to meet everybody there yeah so Georgetown I forget whether it was like two or three days but we did have a transfer orientation and really it was just kind of like to get to know the building it wasn't to teach you how to do law school like how it is for the one L's it was just kind of like this is where you need to figure out um the buildings how the computer systems work figure out the printers that sort of a thing but again it was more of like kind of a community building thing and um you know we had the chance to go out a couple of times before school started the next week and you know some of the people I met that week are still like I'm very close with so that was nice because there was like close to a hundred of us that came from across the country to go there isn't that wild? So if I saw your reaction, is a lot. Yeah. yeah, no. Like, yeah, I don't think it's a hundred on the dot, but it's like very close to that. I think. Yeah, UNC had like, I think three transfer students, maybe yeah. four or five. It was not yeah. a lot. And don't come for me on the numbers. Like you guys can look up five hundred nine reports <laughs> yourself. I don't. No, but it's like but, it's. it's I don't know for the most, but like, for instance, uh, I know like NYU takes a decent amount, Columbia, maybe not Columbia, um, but just even like Harvard and some of the, some of these other programs take more, like, can't remember. I think Northwestern took something like 13, 14, definitely on the smaller end, but compared to like three or four, right. like you just need to be able to build some sort of a community if you can. Yeah, that's wild. We I feel like my class had like five people transfer and I think we only gained one person. Yeah. Unless I just don't know. But I don't know. It's so strange because there was somebody last year actually who transferred from I think it was a law school that had lost its accreditation or something weird. And so she transferred in and then had to retake someone else's classes because their schedule was just like completely different. So she was in my Civ Pro class because they just hadn't like either hadn't done it or it just like wasn't good enough. Like it was super, super weird. And the law school that she'd actually transferred from was the school that somebody that I had been friends with in undergrad who we had like a not good falling out. And she ended up deciding we were both like pre-med and then we both like switched and then she switched to like law school after I'd already like made all my decisions was like graduated all that kind of stuff and then she went to that school that that girl transferred from so I have like no idea what she's doing now but I'm like yikes bro that's yeah but I feel like you both touched on some important things which so if you talked about like classes that transfer and like you know there were three programs I was in between Georgetown being one of them and it's so interesting because all three schools ended up with my transcript and what I was told I would have to take my 2L year varied between all of them like for instance um constitutional law requirements are very different at Georgetown compared to other programs. Um, Like I know transfers here that had to retake constitutional law one and, or their school did what's called constitutional law two first, like their one L year and had not taken con law one. And so that was a consideration. Um, I know at another school, um, my friends that transferred had to retake civil procedure. So I definitely think that's something like it's worth getting on the phone with an admissions advisor. You may have to send them your syllabi, which I know sounds silly, but like whether you're going to have to retake some courses, I don't know about you. I don't want to sit through civil procedure again. It was not my favorite. So, but it's worth considering because you're paying for that. Yeah. Um, you're paying for your credits. And then Brianne, what you talked about, like law school environment, I like I think that's huge. That's probably the biggest thing I've noticed is like environments can be very different amongst schools and just hearing from other people I've I've transferred with, like environments are very different. And I'm lucky, like I feel like Georgetown 
is not that competitive, but I've heard some very different stories as to what it's like. So, you know, maybe you're at a law school where your environment is not great. If so, like that could be a consideration for why you want to leave. Right. Right. Definitely the, the transfer student that I know the best left because of the environment and also did have to retake con law because UNC just does one con law class. We do procedural oh, wow. and substantive in one class. Wow. It's packed yep. in. Oh my goodness. Yep. Ours is all one, like, but it's four credits for each of them. And then writing is less credits. Actually, crim is only three credits, but the rest are all four credits and it's like intense and we have it three days a week. So <laughs> loved that yeah. speech last year. On that same topic, like my old school required four semesters of legal writing and well I you know what they are getting they are great writers um legal writing was not my forte so I'm just not gonna lie to you when I say when I managed to get out of that little situation um I was quite happy about it because now I just have an upper level writing requirement to fulfill before I graduate um But yeah, and then I think something else along the academic lines that people don't talk about, or it is pretty talked about, is law review and how that goes into transferring. Because um, I was, I graded onto law review at my old school, but, you know, you may be transferring because you, like, you want to get onto law review. And I know some transfers that did the write-on packets for two schools. And... I mean, it's just something to consider because if you're waiting for a decision from a school and they say, well, you can do the packet like to get ahead, but then you don't know if you're going to get in. So you do the packet at your like current institution. It's just something to consider. Um, Yeah. I, I like personally, I was never interested in law review. It's not, it was not my top priority. So I never did a packet for Georgetown, but I think it's something to consider because um, even after people were admitted, they were filling out packets and that's just a lot to deal with when you're working your one all summer. That's wild. That's wild. I think what's my overall like conclusion from this is like, it's a shit ton of work. Like you have to prepare yourself to be doing like a lot of work potentially like you're re-going through like the law school application cycle you're doing it on top of going to school you're having to figure out job stuff you're having to figure out housing you're having having to figure out how to pay for it which I think we should talk about a little bit um but it just seems like a lot like it's like double the work yeah I mean it's not for the faint of heart and I, I would just say again So the transfer process is unique to everybody. So like if you didn't do the best your first semester of 1L, but you're really interested in transferring, don't feel like you have to have this all figured out like January of second semester of 1L. Like, you know, it could be April, May, even June for crying out loud when you decide to transfer if those applications are still open. So everybody's timeline looks really different. Um, so I was lucky in the fact that like, I saw early on, I could pace out like, okay, I'm going to write my personal statement over spring break because I don't have class and like, I got it out of the way, but you know, some people are applying in April and May and there's nothing wrong with it, but it's like you said, it's a lot of work. I think figuring out like when you're going to sit down to do all of the logistics that's probably one of the biggest things to account for. Yeah, definitely. Um, as far as once you figured out that you were transferring and then figuring out you knew you wanted to go to Georgetown, calling them up, what was like the financial aid situation like? Because I know it can like really mess with some stuff. Yeah, so financial aid is definitely a hot topic in the the transfer process. So just right off the bat, I don't mean to burst people's bubbles, but like 98% of schools don't give scholarships to transfer students. So I think that's definitely like 
one of the biggest cons is like if you're at a program and you know potentially you're on scholarship money and you're considering transferring I've had some people on LinkedIn reach out to me about the transfer process and I I know they're on a full ride as a 1L at that current school and then they hear like okay I'm not going to get any scholarship money like I think that's it's a huge burden to carry and obviously cost differs from school to school. Maybe if you go to an in-state school, yes, it's still a cost, but like compared to going to a place like Georgetown, Harvard, where tuition is upwards of $70,000, like it's a huge consideration and factor. And on top of like applying for loans and stuff, like it is a very stressful process. Um, And something I guess I wanted to talk about is like, if you're a 1L right now and like, you know, say you did good, great, fantastic on your, your 1L year, like go up, um, appeal your scholarship. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had no scholarship coming into law school and I appealed my scholarship after the first semester and I was offered a substantial scholarship and I like continue to appeal your scholarship every semester, regardless of whether you're a transfer or not. Because, I mean, you'd be surprised, like, what admissions, if you are a decent student, like, what they're willing to give you in terms, like, to keep you there. So, like, right now, if you're a 1L listening to this, go appeal your scholarship first and foremost, because I think that was a huge factor um, for me in my decision process was like, okay, well, now I have some money here at this school, and then I would be taking on a substantial amount of debt at a new school. So I feel like that's something that's not, I keep saying that it's not talked about. It's very much talked about, but I don't think that a lot of 1Ls are aware, like you're not going to be offered a partial scholarship just because you got good grades at your old school. Like you have to, unfortunately, you have to go in and get good grades at your new school now. So yeah, that's very true. I think there are spaces where it gets talked about, but it's not like a popular topic on Law Talk or really on Instagram where people have like law school blogs. Like, I don't really see anybody talking about the transfer process. And outside of you, like, I don't know anybody who's transferred, I don't think. On the line of like appealing your scholarship 1L year, I think that's not talked about enough on Law Talk either. I talked about it when I was a 1L because I did appeal my scholarship. Appeal it even if you got a good ass scholarship. Like you literally have yes. nothing to yes. lose. And um they will try to keep you there. They will. And also say- like you don't need perfect grades. Like nobody is saying you need a 4-0 like literally appeal it regardless of what grades you got. Like you hung in there and you know you beat the curve. So like appeal it. Right. I didn't like when I was a 1L transferring didn't even cross my mind because like I love Carolina. It's the only school for me. Who was I kidding? Um, But like I almost wish I would have known more about transferring because I would have definitely used that. Like I could have definitely transferred out. I would have used that to try to get even more scholarship. Leverage. not. there were people who like told me to consider it like keep it in the back of my mind like during 1L and I was like there's no way like (laughs) there's no way I'm doing that you just know like when the the law school's right for you and like I know a lot of transfers they knew that their law school was not right for them very early on like I'm talking like the second week of school they were like thinking about transferring Yeah, I think that's really important to note, though, because if you like not only in your personal statement and application materials, but just like out loud in a conversation with your loved ones and family cannot articulate a good reason for wanting to transfer, like it's one thing to be like, oh, I want to leave my school, but you have to then be able to tell the school you want to go to. This is why I choose you. Um. I think like you're not going to be successful as a transfer student because it goes both ways. Like you're not spending the transfer process, like bashing your old program. You need to talk about like 
what transferring is going to do for your life, your careers, your goals, and be like positive and forward thinking in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you have to be able to articulate why. And I think that if you can't, then it's not going to go super well for you. Yeah. I think something that you brought up originally was you realized that the course curriculum, the course paths did not fit what you want to do. And that's something that I looked into super heavily when I was applying to schools. I wanted to see what like course paths there were. And sometimes you don't even realize like how many classes are only offered in like the litigation sector or if a school is super business oriented. You don't know that until you get there and you're like, okay, but all of these classes seem like this vibe and I for sure want to do this or I have an interest in this and they don't have any like high like more higher level classes with that and I think that's something that's really important for people who are just applying to law school in general to really look into and ask like current law students like what are the course selections like what are you looking forward to taking like are there options for what you want to do yeah like clinics pro bono And I had some mentors like during this process be very frank with me, which like I really appreciated. And they, they were like, listen, like your classmates at your old school, like current institution at the time are going to pass the bar. They're going to become an attorney. And at the end of the day, like something they brought to my attention is like, that's kind of like all that matters. Like you want to get a job, you want to pass the bar. I think something that's more relevant now is like the bar exam is potentially changing depending on what jurisdiction you're going into. Um, But, you know, you have to weigh the cost of attending a different school and like what matters to you in selecting that, that school versus like staying there. Because again, my friends and my classmates at that other school are going to do very well they're going to be successful they're going to be attorneys they're going to pass the bar and at the end of the day that kind of is all that matters but for me like I really value the fact that I'm getting to do some simulation courses and I'm getting to work at an externship at an agency and like they can do similar things but I don't know I've been able to articulate like an area of law that I'm more interested in in a classroom environment instead of like having to figure it out on the job at work. Um, And also like if you're paying for your education, I didn't want to pay to take classes that I wasn't really like interested in. I'm sorry, but like trial advocacy, uh, there are some people that are, that's great at it. Public speaking is one of the most terrifying things to me. Um, You know, I'm in evidence this semester. I'm taking it for the bar. Do I love it? No. I did not want to pay for classes I was not super interested in taking. So, but you have to weigh that as an applicant on your own. Like it's your money, it's it's your life. So just because you see somebody else transfer and do it, if you're not comfortable with taking that debt on and the stress of the transfer process, like there is literally nothing wrong with it. The one thing I will encourage everybody to do, if you have the inkling about transferring, put the application in because at the end of the day, I think it's more important to get an answer like a yes or a no from a program and like have that option than just like let the transfer process go by and just spend your 2L and 3L year wondering what if. Right. Um, then you lose your chance to even have like mm-hmm. a different Yeah. That's yeah. Hard. Oh my gosh. Okay. So since the acceptance process is so strange and has like a very stretched out timeline, did it affect your 1L summer at all, even though you did have a position um, in the city of your prior school? How did it affect 2L OCI slash did you participate slash what's that kind of looking like for next summer for you? Yeah, so um, I like eventually decided to go back to the job that I worked at my one out summer. I really loved it there, but um, I guess I can touch a little bit on like other individuals' experiences that I know of in the transfer process and then what I did experience. So I told you guys about how I didn't put my deposit down on time at Georgetown. So when I did accept my, um, 
my offer to attend Georgetown. It was made with the contingency. And like, if you're accepted later in the process, you will be told this both about law review and OCI that you cannot participate. Like there is a cutoff window for transfers that like, you know, career services, like to review your resume, do mock interviews, that sort of thing, that it's just not feasible for career service to like, just get every, all of your information up to date. And they make that, you very aware of that during the transfer process. But um, I got to the point with, with Georgetown that I put my acceptance and my deposit down so late that I was not able to participate in Georgetown OCI. So something I would consider is like, if you've applied to schools and it's the middle of the summer and you have not heard from a program, you need to be thinking about like, okay, if I'm looking for a job, there's a couple of ways I can go about it. Either stay at my current school, go through that school's OCI, or you can apply like I wouldn't call it independently, but firms have their own applications on their websites. And that's what I ended up doing because I had a deposit down at a school that was not Georgetown. But the issue that I did not want to run into, which I strongly discourage transfer applicants from doing, do not send out applications to firms with two resumes that have different school names on it. That will get you in a load of trouble. I'm not even talking about applying to the same firm. I'm talking about applying to different firms with different school names. So I was applying to firms with the resume that I had from my old law school. I had that name on it because I didn't feel that it was appropriate to disclose the name of schools knowing that I was still like in, in the thought process of where I was going to go. Um, and then like, in the notes section of the application, I would say like, hey, like I'm in the transfer process right now. I'm going to end up at either this school or this school. But I was like very intentional about that because I did not want to get in trouble applying with my old school's name on one resume at a firm and then applying at a different firm with another resume. Yeah. And I know somebody that did that and they got offers at both places. And I will just say that the original firm is no longer the firm that they backed out of with the old school's name on it is no longer a fan of that individual. Um, I think that's just one of the biggest like no nos you can do. Um, so yes, you can apply individually and independently on your own. And if you're like, feel like you're backed into a corner with OCI, definitely recommend doing that because then you're still keeping your options open. Um, but I would say like a lot of schools, especially if you're admitted earlier on in the process, you can still participate in OCI um, just as another student. They're probably going to ask you like on your resume. I had all of my like original school's information on it. The clubs I was in, my GPA, the fact that I was invited to join law review. And then I had Georgetown above it. So they're going to ask you like, why did you transfer? I think that was one of the biggest questions during interviews is like, oh, why did you transfer? Um, so yeah, I guess that's what I have to say about jobs in the transfer process. Just don't do what that one person did. True. Okay. Now that you're moved, you have a semester under your belt, you're acclimated, you've been to DC before, and now you're living there. How do you feel about your choice and just like where you're at in life? Yeah. So in terms of the school itself, I love it. I love the community that I've built. Um, like I talked about with the plethora of other transfer students. Um, I'm really happy with the classes I've been able to take. Like, even though they're really difficult, I feel like I'm much more engaged and see like the practicality of what I'm learning to my future career. So I think that's been really awesome and kind of seeing that decision to transfer pay off there. Um, I think something that I don't know if other people's minds work this way, but like when I made that financial choice to transfer and incurring the debt, it was not just like a light switch that turned off in my brain that was like, okay, well, we're incurring the debt and it's fine. It's still something that I think about a lot. Um, it like financial choices impact my daily life. So 
I would say that's still something that it's not that I regret taking on the debt, but it's not just like that, that fear and that anxiety doesn't just go away now that I've made the decision to transfer. Um, so yeah, I, I like living in DC. I'm going to be returning to the Midwest. I do miss my family a lot, but I think personally it was really important for me to move to a new city, a new state and kind of like spread my wings and take advantage of making some really awesome connections um, in our capital. So, yeah. Yay. That's so good to hear. It's good to hear like success stories because I mean, it doesn't seem like you had like a terrible, awful, like horrible one L experience, but it's also like good to know that you can have a fine, a decent one L experience and still want to transfer and still be successful and still be having a good time and learning obviously, because it's law school. If there are like any regrets, I definitely, um, I made some really great mentorship connections with my 1L professors, um, people that I'm still connected to this day. I think like leaving that community and people that supported you your first year and coming to a different school where maybe there's some larger lecture sizes and it's more difficult like to get to know professors that's definitely a con that I hadn't thought about too much, but um, missing like professors and mentorships in my old school too. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't even think about that because UNC is a very small school. Yeah. I mean, my class is 180 students. So it yeah. feels like if you want to make a connection with the professor, you can. And our upper level classes are like, I mean, I think the biggest class I'm in right now is secured transactions, which is like 80 people. Um, but that's really as big as our classes get. Yeah, I think my biggest class this semester is Concrim Pro. And I think we have around 60, I want to say. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> like most of my classes are are much smaller. Even the ones that like had allotted classrooms for bigger classes, they ended up being a lot smaller. So I have classes that are like 20-ish people, like three classes that are like 20-ish people. So it's good. A lot of around the average for my school too, like 20 people. Writing classes are typically like 10 to 15. And then your upper level, like normal classes that aren't bar prep classes are typically around 25 to 30. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even the school I transferred from, um, like my 1L lectures were big just because we were broken into sections. But here, like I think my evidence class is like over 100 students. Yeah. Seminars here are pretty small. Um like smaller than 35. I think my my tax policy class right now is like 15. So that's like pretty tiny. It's not impossible to get small classes by any means. Um, but yeah, the big lectures are big for yeah. sure. It's like yeah. undergrad size. I don't think we even have, well, I think we have one classroom that could fit a hundred people, but I think the rest of them are like not equipped to handle that. Okay, last question is what is like one last thing you want to leave studio audience with? Like last advice you would give your past self who is applying? Yeah, so I would definitely try to like don't go on Reddit deep dives, like kind of stay in your lane and stay in your own thought process about what works best for you. Because again, the transfer process is very personal. So everything I've talked about tonight and my considerations was personal to me. So if you know other students that are thinking about transferring, like their reasons are their reasons, yours are your own. And then I would seek more like outside guidance from um, industry professionals, like talk to lawyers that... You know, I actually talked to one that, that transferred and she gave me her two, um, her two cents on it. And that was really helpful. So if you can seek out some mentorship from like non-academia based people, 
Um, I think that's a great thing. And then something I didn't do that I wish I had thought of that I know a lot of people here did was contact the school that you're interested in transferring to and ask about like if you could speak to a current transfer student or just a student in general, because I think that probably would have solidified a lot like more quickly or more easily for me to decide like whether the school would have been a right fit because a lot of these programs will have similar things on their websites like well we have great corporate law courses or you know we're a diverse institution but like what does that really mean and hearing from students what their day-to-day life is like um I didn't do that and I really wish I had taken advantage of speaking to a current transfer student. So, I mean, I guess if any of you are interested in transferring to Georgetown, reach out, but um, yeah, definitely reach out to students at uh, schools you're interested in. I think that's a really good last message. So that's all for this week's episode of The In-Laws. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at The In-Laws Pod. We post these full-length episodes every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, so make sure to follow and rate the podcast through whichever streaming service you're listening on. If you have any questions for Emily, her IG is emilyjohnson42, so reach out if you have questions about transferring, about Georgetown, Georgetown Law specifically, DC, all that kind of stuff. Hit her up, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.